out, so you got like friend and puppy time. I got friend and puppy time. Welcome back, Intimates. Thanks for your support on Patreon, making this 2021 season possible. This podcast is about all things intimate, relationships, love, connection, community, consensual non-monogamy, kink, orgies, lovers, and of course, good old-fashioned sex. I talk with old friends and even meet some new ones. I interview people from all walks of life, from recovered addicts to counselors, sex partners to perfect strangers. I'd like to thank my hosts, the Musqueam First Nation, as this podcast is recorded on their unceded ancestral territory, where I was born, where I work, and where I currently live and play. So settle in for an intimate conversation. Tilly, a queer community member, suggested a long time ago to start a project to develop our friendship in a recorded, progressive fashion. This is an episode about support from your social network, not about UBI and support from your society. In fact, it's specifically about what your social support network, by which I mean friends, found family, biological family, if you have those still in your life, um, what they can do to help support you when you need support most. So for those of us with mobility restrictions or financial restrictions, if you can't afford winter tires or a vehicle at all, or with biological restrictions where being in the cold due to you know chronic illness um, for example Tilly has EDS and that can cause the cold to impact you quite negatively for those individuals what does food access look like whether it's a financial concern or a mobility concern and how does your social network help you out with that or do they at all what does your circle of friends look like in a crisis And while those of us who have resources are using them to help our loved ones, how do those at most risk, or even those being supportive, cope with anxiety and depression and ADHD and various other neurodivergence and situations, headspaces, how do we try and stay functional? So Tilly's going to draw on chronically ill experience and help us all out quick note, part of my ongoing growth to work with ADHD involves a lot of timers all over so I can set louder alarms, enabling me to put wet laundry in the dryer or leave the house on time. This is just my life as an adult with ADHD. You'll hear a beeping alarm near the end of the episode, so now you've been made aware of that. Please enjoy another session of Intimate Interactions. Welcome everyone to another session of Intimate Interactions. I'm here with my friend Tilly and we are talking about how we cope with chronic stress and specifically in the context of the pandemic, how we've been managing and coping. Welcome, Tilly. Hi, how are you doing? I am all things considered well. It's good. I'm I'm pretty good too. I think it's partially that it's holiday season and there's so much unstructured time. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's true. I've been under a lot less stress because it's holiday season. And I think... It has been really tough not seeing a lot of humans for holidays, Mm -hmm. but I also managed to have like a found family dinner with one person who is a solo in a household of only one, um, which is encouraged. Um, Those individuals need contact for their mental health and even the health authority that's saying, hey, please don't have big gatherings is like, by all means, please go and see other households if it's like a household of one person. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're essentially already isolating most of the time. Yeah. So that was lovely. I got to have amazing dinner with a, well, you know, this human, um, someone with whom I used to be in a a very, and still am in a deep relationship with, who has an adorable dog that I love to pieces. Oh, so you got like 
friend and puppy time. I got friend and puppy time. And then I brought over like a dollar fifty of like milk chocolate for them because milk chocolate's their favorite chocolate. Mm-hmm. And I brought over like six dollar doggo treats from a brand that is good and that they like. Um, and it was doggo treats that were like turkey and cranberry and other vegetables that dogs can have. And it was like basically turkey dinner in treat form. And I was like, this way the dog can have turkey dinner too. And they made turkey for us and it was lovely. And it was like a dinner of two people where like in, ex- in instead of getting like a whole turkey, we just got, and by we, I mean, they just got turkey breast. And then they did this thing where they like, crisped it up somehow and kept the inside juicy and i'm like i do not understand the magic ways of the kitchen that only some wizards know how to use yourself being one of them i try i try i consider you a baking wizard because you make lots of treats that are like incredibly allergen friendly do you not i i i do actually yes and that's that's mostly because um you know i have my own access needs about that but also you know, if I know I'm going to be around somebody with specific issues around food, like I'm like, I want the food to be accessible to you. I want, I want you to be able to experience this too. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And I also know what that's like when, you know, you've got a whole bunch of friends that don't have any access needs around food and they're like, Oh, let's just go to this place. And I'm like, well, we can, but I'm not gonna be able to eat anything. They're like, well, I'm sure you can find something. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I won't be able to find something. And they're like, well, but you said you can have chicken. And I'm like, yeah, I can have plain chicken. And they're like, okay, well this place only does chicken. I'm like, all right, we get there. Sure enough. It's like Nando's chicken or whatever and they use garlic in absolutely 100% of every chicken that gets cooked anywhere in that establishment at least to the best of my knowledge speaking about Vancouver locations so we get there and I'm like cool I can't have anything just like I thought I wouldn't and all my friends like oh my god that's so terrible I'm like I I don't know what to tell you right now (laughs) like I, I really I really tried to be as like clear as I could to be as like you know, like, here's where I am. And it's just like, people just don't believe you sometimes. I'm like, no, that'll make me sick. Like, I can't have that. And they're like, really? I'm like, like, what just came out of my mouth? Like, I don't know how to communicate to you any more clearly than I'm communicating. I said, if we went here, I wouldn't be able to eat anything. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. Like, I'm not, this isn't a new experience for me. But uh, yeah, it was just like, very frustrating. Yeah, that the com- combination of like, lack of imagination <laughs> and lack of empathy is just like oh, it, it is so frustrating yeah but then there was a lot of empathy when they realized i couldn't eat anything like i told them i wouldn't be able to eat anything yeah. um there's there's a lot of empathy then they're just like oh well this is so or more sympathy it really wasn't empathy it was sympathy they just they didn't really understand it they didn't understand how it was possible and it was like it's okay i just need to not I need to be much clearer about my boundaries around like, oh, I don't believe they'll have anything for me. And then they'll be like, oh, yeah, sure. They definitely will. And I'll be like, that's OK. I'm going to choose to ignore you because you don't know me as well as I know me. And like, I'm just going to go to this other place and I'll meet you thereafter. That's what I should have said. But instead, I went with them to the place. They didn't have it. And I was like, that's cool. I'm just going to pop out and like, I don't know, grab fries at McDonald's and come back because I know I can eat those and not get sick. Yeah. Which is what I did. And then by the time I got back, they were like oh, well, we're we're going to be here another 10 minutes and then we're packing up. I'm like, I know, we really should have gone somewhere else, but that's okay. Like, pack up in 10 minutes, it's fine. Yeah. We'll chat for 10 minutes. That, that's what this turns into. Yeah. So yeah, access needs around food. I totally hear you. When you're with other people and you want them to be able to enjoy the same foods that you're enjoying, it's really lovely to be able to be like, oh, I already considered you and thought about your access needs, even though you didn't really 
expect me to. It's like a really lovely surprise when people care about you and consider you that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I, I mean, I'm not always super successful. I sometimes forget things Sure. or, or we sometimes have to do the thing that can feel burdensome where I'm like, Hey, can we talk about your access needs about food? Because I'm not super clear on what they are. And I would rather have, like, I know this conversation equals emotional labor. Oh, totally. Yeah. But, but it's still appreciated. Yeah. I'm trying for a better outcome, right? Like that's the aim of the whole conversation. My partner, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say her name. I think I am, but you know what? I'll just avoid doing it. But the, uh, the partner with whom I'm currently living, mm-hmm. um, is exceptional and amazing in that I have this low FODMAP app from Monash university that mm-hmm. actually has how much of everything I can eat for what diet that doesn't currently make me sick at all. So I know I can have everything on this list and it's like an indexable searchable database, but unfortunately it doesn't have a lot of foods that are like foods from places of color, which kind of sucks, Mm. but it does have a pretty, I don't want to say exhaustive, but a pretty wide spanning database, which is good. It just gets really frustrating sometimes. And I'm like, Oh, I really like this specific type of food. Can I have it? And they're like, we have no idea what that is. I'm like, fair enough. So you kind of have to Google it sometimes, but uh, because my partner that lives with me is in my Google family, they have access to all the apps that I've purchased. So they have access to it and they did the most charming thing, which is they installed it on their phone and then started just consulting the app directly instead of asking me to do the search for them. And it was like the nicest thing. That's got to feel so good. It was amazing. Like to have someone and like when that started happening, it started feeling like less emotional labor to have to have the conversation because I almost always knew that they either could check or would check if I asked them to. So when they had questions for me, I really didn't mind looking it up because I was just so appreciative. Yeah. I have like a number of my close people do that kind of homework around my stuff or like, you know, they keep a list and they check ingredients and stuff like that. And it's so like, like, it is yeah. such a dimension of being seen and being cared for, and that yes. totally lands internally. It's so good. Oh, my God. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Ah, coping with chronic stress, the takeaway there is having people who care about you in your life, doing little things that are not, that may not feel super significant to them, but can feel very significant to you. Find what those things are. Yeah. yeah. Social yeah. networks. They're the stuff that surviving the pandemic is made of. Yeah. And, and sharing information with each other. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I am always interested in finding out in finding out in general about access needs, but especially finding out about access needs about the people around me for that precise reason. And like when I, when I see a new meme about, access needs you know paying attention to that and reading that and stuff like that um do we want to keep talking about this or do we want to shift specifically talking about chronic stress support let's yeah let's talk about coping with chronic stress yeah i mean i think i've said this before to you but i think one of the things about coping with chronic stress that the 
pandemic really brought up for me was mm-hmm. um, was how much experience I had coping with chronic stress. Like after I got over, yeah, the, totally. Yeah, after the, I got over the first, um, kind of the first shock of the pandemic and the first feelings of loss and isolation and all of that, I realized that I was like, oh this just feels like going through a really long depressive period. And I was yes. like, I've got experience with that. I know how to do this. Yeah. And like, I'm extremely good at monitoring my mental health because I'm a, I have major depressive disorder, like actually diagnosed. So I'm used to that. I'm, I'm used to dealing with swings in my mood. It was like, I watched all the normies that had never gone to therapy like behave like the sky was falling and rightly so right if you've never experienced this it is horrific to experience it just happens to have also been the horror of most of my life so for me it was like rolling into the pandemic i was like first time hey you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean the first i remember the first couple months were like really hard um, because it's a new, it was a new form of stress. Like I didn't know what a pandemic was. And then I was just right. like, oh, so what we're going to do is we're going to see our therapist every two weeks. And we're going to, um, like my psychiatrist, I sometimes was only seeing him once a month because when things were really well controlled, but we've gone up to like every minimum every two weeks through the entire pandemic, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then trying to gently encourage people to like oh you you have an eap hotline through your work have you checked that out uh, you know like you seem to be depressed maybe there's some help out there for you i mean again that's from the privileged place of like of course yeah an employee assistant hotline or resources um and and I'm aware of that when I talk about solutions too. It's like typically we make good choices when we have good choices. Yes. So it's like I have a, a heated seat, you know, hot water bidet. That's something that money has allowed me to have. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I have a psychiatrist and I have a therapist because I was lucky enough to get randomly hooked up with a psychiatrist who, you know, our values are similarly aligned. Mm, that's so helpful. Right? It's so good. Yeah. And it's so, so infrequent to find necessarily. And, you know, and also I'm, you know, both my partner and I have been extended benefits. So we can both go to therapy. That's great. I still go to therapy, but uh, it's expensive. So I do it once a month now instead of once every two weeks. And then I'm like, this is basically what it was when I had you know, benefits for it. Yeah. So that's a thing. Um, There's also free therapy, sort of, if you go through your GP, you can get group therapy programs. And they're actually, my experience with them is that they're very good for people that are new to this and like, haven't considered them. It's like, yeah, group therapy can be extremely helpful. Yeah. And it's free. It's free through your GP. Just go to your GP, see what your health, um, your health, what are they called? The, Thank you. Yes, that's exactly what they're called. Well done. Um, What your health authority has for you. So like Vancouver Coastal Health obviously has a lot, um, but it's also by hospital. 
So sometimes different hospitals will offer different things. So that's kind mm -hmm. of frustrating. But like yeah. if you're living in Richmond, you can only get services from Richmond, which kind of sucks. Even though you're Vancouver Coastal Health, you can't go to other parts of Vancouver Coastal Health. So, uh -huh. yeah. so like there's weird locking of services by municipality, which, you know, if you live in Abbotsford, as I do, sucks. Um, but uh, when I lived in Richmond, I got access to their living skills for depression program. And it was the tits. I don't know how else to explain it. Like it was so good. I recommend it for any human who has experienced depression for prolonged periods of time, like six months or more, where you feel like you've just been continuously depressed for more than just a winter. Hell, even if just for the winter and you have seasonal right. depressive, like depressive, like just, just get help. There's so much out there and the worst it can be is boring. Yeah. And you can, especially if it's free, That's you can, you can always quit. Give yeah. it a shot for a few sessions. My recommendation, if you're able to, is to stick with it. But, like, again, like, that's a privileged place. Like, I get how some people are just not resourced to, like, sit through watching other people get better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I'm when I'm in my worst places, I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> I, I literally, I just remember being in group therapy, watching other people who, when they first came in, I was like, these people are like they're upgrading from high school like they aren't even taking a one-on-one like they're still taking like some basic upgrades and then other people who are sort of like floundering around and kind of like the early stages of depression um or like mid stages but they were new to it like within the last few years i was just like huh okay yeah they're doing all right but then what really shocked me was seeing some of the chronic depression sufferers that were coming in at like 45 and 50 and they were starting to make progress and i was looking around being like okay, uh, the common denominator here is me. I need to really, <laughs> really seriously consider my attitude here towards the therapy that I'm doing because like, I could be doing a lot better. Like if all of these folks can get better, there's, and, and the other thing from group therapy was all my problems were no longer special. Oh, that's, that, that is actually really amazing. Like when I, oh yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why my social circle is made up of like people with, psychiatric and physical illness it's because yeah. you know you know being able to like have the like terrible brittle laughter around <laughs> that particular thing and it's a shared experience like it's yeah that's so healing it it, it absolutely i agree yeah also just the feeling that i used to think that there was like a specialness to my trauma or a specialness to like my suffering or a specialness to my depression. And when I did group therapy, um, like the living skills for depression was really cool because we had four different kinds of therapy and we did all of them simultaneously and the outcomes were really good. But one of the four types of therapy was um, interpersonal. So it was like traditional group therapy. Look, when I say group therapy in this context, I mean like it's almost lecture format. There's mm -hmm. like a count, there's like a couple of therapists up at the front of the class kind of deal. Um, and they talk you through the principles of cognitive behavioral therapy. And then they talk you through um, assertiveness training and they talk you through, you know, this and that. And then they have interpersonal therapy, which is literally where it's traditional group therapy where you're all sitting around in a circle. And the only people who really talk are patients and you've got therapists to keep you on the rails. So when someone says something really unhealthy, therapists are there to kind of gently reframe it for the whole group so that no one harms other patients with the shit they're saying. Yeah. That sounds really important because we all know that ever so often something, yeah. you know, something that's been like festering in the back of your head and your shame oh, yeah. spirals or the 
internalized ableism voice all of a sudden comes oh yeah <laughs> yes and then you have to try and grab the skeletal demon and sort of force it back down your throat and be like oh sorry about that folks <laughs> yeah and um, somehow but... not then like start a self-punishment cycle of like i yes. was the person who said the the really fucked up of thing. course yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Which inevitably happens, yeah. yeah so like I think what was... <laughs> Sorry. Everybody yeah. does that. I, agreed. Agreed. So the thing that I think hit me hardest was I spoke really briefly about my issues when everyone was speaking briefly about their issues. And by the time everyone had spoken briefly about their issues, I was, we were, I was still engaged. But by the time I got to the end of probably the third or fourth hour and a half session... I was bored. Like I was bored of other people sharing the same situations I'd been in. And what happened was the best thing that could have happened, which is I got bored of myself. I oh, literally well. got to the end of the third or fourth and I went, my problems are so boring. And that was the moment where I feel like group therapy gave me the biggest gift it could have, which is just realizing like nothing I've gone through is all that special. You know, like it's not like I'm the only person that's ever dealt with, you know, molestation or physical violence or emotional abuse or manipulation or gaslighting. Like a lot of people have dealt with those things. So it's like, okay, so then what do I do with all that? Right? Like how did other people get to more tolerable states of existence? And like, how do I get resourced enough to get there myself? And part of getting resourced enough for me was medication. Sorry for everybody, maybe, but it's not, it's, it's definitely right for me. Yeah. I feel Sorry. like, I feel, <laughs> feel like, like I, I took over. That's okay. I feel like getting bored of your own problems is actually, for me, it's an important, um, I know we're totally digressing here, but that's okay. Um, mm -hmm. It's an important benchmark of like, I am ready to grow and change when I'm like, I'm sick of my daddy issues. And just so everyone knows I have literal daddy issues because I was one of those people with one of those fathers. And we have the phrase daddy issues because so many of us yeah. have not had, have had not great fathers, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm so sick of my social anxiety, like right now I'm really sick of my social anxiety. And I'm like doing exposure therapy to get over it, which means that I pick when it's safe, like when whatever level of pandemic safety we're at, I actually force myself to go interact with other nice humans. And then I'm like, that wasn't so bad. What was I so scared of? <laughs> you know, it's... I've heard that. Yeah. That you can evaluate how bad do I think this is going to be before you go out and you're like 10. This is going to be a 10 out of 10 horrible. And then you get back and you were like, well, during the experience, my anxiety only ever hit like a seven or an eight. And like, it actually, I think it probably should have been like a five, maybe like having those moments of like reevaluation and numerically giving yourself a, like, I think this is going to be a nine, like before you go out, that's just what one of my therapists yeah. has told me before that that can be helpful for some folks. And, and I think it has been for me, but I haven't had intense anxiety for me. It's mostly been coping with depression. Mm -hmm. anxiety yeah. hits me before i fall asleep <laughs> oh god yeah yeah i mean i yeah i have like generalized anxiety and also i have pure o ocd which is like you get intrusive thoughts of like the most terrible thing you can imagine happening wow in your head. and um the more anxious you are about your intrusive thoughts the more they tend to persist of course that sucks yeah, and it um and Pure O is really like it's one of those things that's not technically in the DSM yet. 
Um, really? And it's also really hard to diagnose because when we think of people with OCD, we think about like the constant hand washing and the counting and the ticking and the checking things. But like pure O is only occurring within your head. So it's more obsessive than compulsive. Yeah. Yeah. That's Got why it. they call it pure O, right? That per, yeah, yeah. Okay. That just clicks <laughs> for me. Yeah. That makes sense. So, um, yeah. So I, you know, I'm still reorienting to like, what is life about when like, and again, for me, medication really helped this, but also now knowing, like having knowledge about, you know, when I am taking care of small children and all of a sudden my brain is like, what if the small child gets hit by a car, which of <sighs> course is something nobody wants. Right. And it's a terrible outcome um, to a know that the terrible thought is telling me about my values which is my values are that I really want this child to be safe. And number two, that this terrible thought actually happens to everyone. It's just most of the population can like dismiss it. Yeah. My, my brain isn't set up to dismiss it. My brain is set up to repeat it. And, you know, all I have to do is try to distract myself from like, is to not dig in to that spiral of right what if like don't you know, don't lean into the spiral <laughs> yeah don't lean into the spiral um yeah i don't have many coping skills past that um but those ones seem to have really helped are you with are you have have you ever had a therapist talk to you about like positive spirals uh no we haven't covered that so you know how how it feels and please um disengage if it feels unsafe for you what i'm suggesting um you you know your limits but how it feels to lean into a negative spiral and the way that the leaning into the thought for me is a lot like falling and it's mm. like the more i lean into it the faster i fall into it mm -hmm. um what one of my therapists said uh, she said that she also had a brain like mine which wasn't necessarily compulsive or sorry, obsessive the way you're talking about it. But mm -hmm. it is like when I have an experience of a negative thought, my brain is very good at finding every example of pseudo evidence that would back up that negative thought oh, and yeah. just being like, Oh, you think you're a stupid piece of shit like Bojack Horseman? Well, here's a, here's a slideshow of like the last <laughs> 10 most humiliating moments in your life that, that, really help back up. Yes, you are a stupid piece of shit. <laughs> um, but then I am, I am laughing, laughing in empathy. <laughs> <laughs> just fucking Bojack Horseman. Ah, you stupid piece of shit. You're such a stupid piece of shit. I just, that episode's so funny to me because it's just like when I'm mentally well, I can look back at it and be like, bah, I know what that's like. Um, and it feels very good humored and healthy. And then when I'm not mentally well, I'm like, oh, this show is reading me so hard right now. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what was I going to say? Right. So you can lean into, or at least this is what my counselor was saying to me. And I have had mixed results with it, but somewhat successful results, which is just because you have a brain that shows up and is like, hey, here are 10 examples of the thing you're thinking about. You can lean into the same feeling about different thoughts. And I was like, that's something I hadn't considered because typically it's the pull of those negative thoughts into that, like stabbing yourself in the, in the stomach with like an emotional knife, um, over and over and over again, like that, that compulsive, like 
visceral, like yeeting yourself headfirst into the void kind of feeling of leaning into a spiral. But right. like you kind of feel for me anyways, I experience it as like feeling the ghost of all of those actions, but centered around a different thought. So instead of being like, oh my God, I'm so worried that my partner's going to get into an accident tonight. I'm going to throw myself into, you know, like my partner's really careful and like here all the time she's been really careful. And like my partner loves, um, loves me a lot or like that, um, my partner has come home every single other time that she's ever had to drive home. And like, I'll throw myself into thinking really hard about counter examples and it doesn't work a hundred percent, but it works in the sense that it's distracting me at the very least. I'm not leading into a negative spiral. And then the advantage there is sometimes my brain does show up for me and actually really throws me into, yeah, this person is a really safe driver. And yeah, this person tends to get home safe and literally has every other time. And this person grew up driving in ice and snow. So they're probably just going slow. It's totally fine. And I just like, I really try and lean into that in the same, like, in the same way that I would lean into a negative spiral. And for me, sometimes that helps. I wouldn't say every time, but it's been pretty effective. I've never done that as like a formalized technique, but I think I've kind of stumbled onto something similar. And yeah, it is helpful. Like one of, so I was having really bad social anxiety lately because like, We've all been isolated. Half of us feel like we've forgotten to human. Maybe it's more like 75%. I don't know. Um, and I've been working from home, so I haven't had much contact face-to-face with any of my colleagues. So all of a sudden, I was, like, trying to go into the office instead of once a month every two weeks. And the first time I did, like, my anxiety just shot through the roof. I couldn't deal. I, you know had a bunch of IT issues and like and then I went home and had the like negative um persevering about like ha- all the ways I'd fucked up obviously oh. and then I talked to a friend and my friend was like and I was like I'm like I'm so anxious about my coworkers and everyone's so nice and I'm just freaking out and I'm I'm so worried and my friend pointed out she was like you know what Part of the reason you're worried is because they're so nice. Interesting. And then I was like, right, that's probably a big part of this is that I'm more invested in getting along with these coworkers than I necessarily have other coworkers. And so, you know, and, and I also leaned into the, the, they're so nice, right? Like everyone's so nice, you know, so-and-so in IT is nice. And, you know, so-and-so who I worked on with a project was nice. And, you know, my team is nice and stuff like that. And then I decided to go to the holiday party, which was like in that really brief window where it was like, we everyone's vaccinated. We all have vaccination records. Let's all be in a restaurant together. I remember that window. That tiny little window right before the cases started going up again. And yeah. I went and I, that's when I actually had this really pleasant experience where it's like everyone was really nice and I had a pretty good time and, and I completely surprised myself. And I was like, Oh, cause it, one of the things I can't remember where I heard it is the, but what if everything works out? 
(laughs) (laughs) Right? Because we're, those of us with anxiety are usually so worried about, you know, what if this happens, what if that happens, what if I mess up, what if external things I can't control mess up. But we don't spend a lot of time investing and preparing for what if I have a lovely time? What if I do really well at the presentation? What if, you know, what if my workday goes super smoothly? Right. right? Like we don't we don't prepare and invest in those futures a lot. We tend to prepare and invest in the negative outcomes. Which is, you know, like right now I'm I'm kind of like investing in the future with COVID has been super hard and I tend not to do a lot of it, but I'm like, what if we have this seasonal pattern again, where everyone gets boosted and we have a period in summer to fall where we can go out and see people again, where we can do a careful amount of travel, where all of that can happen. I honestly think it's going to end up with us just getting a flu vid vaccine every year and you just get your booster flu vid and then you don't get flu or COVID really. That I'm, I'm okay with that future. I would totally live with that future. You know, even though frankly getting the vaccine is really hard on my body um, and I'm getting boosted December 31st. So I have no plans for the next three days. <laughs> Yeah, no, it it is a big sacrifice to get a booster set for some of us. For me, I do get sick, but I'm not so sick I can't work. So I'll be like with a fever in bed with like, as long as I have enough heat. So like lots of thick blankets will do or like a hot, like a hot water bottle is amazing. Um, nice. But I'll, I'll just have heat and like pillows to prop me up in my laptop and I'll just work and I'll work on my bed feeling a lot of fatigue and a little bit of like, you know, uh, flu like symptoms basically. So like skin soreness, that kind of stuff. Yeah. The shitty thing is my chronic migraines tie in a lot with when I get sick. So sometimes I'll start getting a headache and I have to anticipate that shit a mile away to catch it before it turns into a migraine. But now that I know that I've actually been having a reasonable experience. So Yeah. yeah. So here's to getting slightly more well. And applying all the coping strategies we talked about to the pandemic. The pandemic, the pandemic and life beyond the pandemic, whatever that looks like. Yeah, there's that hope. There's that hope, (laughs) life beyond the pandemic. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you again for chatting about coping strategies for chronic stress, because there are not very many amazing experts that I've run into, but I feel like most of my... Oh, wow, that is the alarm that I set for myself for when I needed to be done the session to leave on time for my next appointment. So, like, I wasn't even looking at it. Anyways, TLDR, thank you for being on the session with me. You rock. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was really good to catch up. So how did you like it, Intimates? Discuss your ideas with the community at facebook.com forward slash Intimate Victor or tweet me at Intimate Victor or follow my Instagram, you guessed it, at Intimate Victor. If you can spare the cost of coffee to help the show keep going, head to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. We hugely appreciate your help to continue making intimate conversations for you and yours. If not, you can always help other intimacy nerds find the podcast by leaving us a review anywhere online, especially iTunes. Or you can just tell a friend. 
The opening music is on hold for you, made of algorithmically generated notes and chords, and played by an AI-rendered saxophonist. The closing music is Gymnopédie, number one, by Eric Satie. Both are provided royalty-free, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Thanks so much for your time, and may your most important relationships be filled with the intimate, rich interactions you crave. Be well. <laughs>